Hi everyone, welcome to Leukemia Chatters. I'm Charlotte, I'm the Patient Advocacy Manager at Leukemia Care and the host of this podcast. Today we chatted to Sophie Weldon and Tom Hunt, who were both diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or ALL, as young adults. We talked about raising awareness of leukemia, using social media, and careers in medicine and science after being diagnosed with a serious illness. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, thank you guys for for joining us today. Maybe we could start with you guys introducing yourself. So, uh, Sophie, do you want to kick us off with, you know, who you are and what your diagnosis was? Yeah, I'm Sophie and I was diagnosed at 20 with acute lymphoblastic leukaemia in 2018. Cool, thank you for joining us today. And I'm also joined today by Tom. Tom, do you want to do the same for me? Hi, I'm Tom, I'm 21 and I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukaemia in 2018 as well. Oh, very close to each other. I like it. Tom, do you just want to elaborate a little bit further for me in terms of sort of what the, what the process of being diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia was and sort of what treatments you had and basically how you got to where you are today? I'd just done my A-levels and I was in that sort of nice summer period where you've just got nothing to do. And I've been going out and going on nights out and working all day. And I just noticed I was just feeling more and more tired as it went on. And every I just didn't really put it down to anything because I'd be working seven, eight hours and then going out till three in the morning and coming in and working again. So I didn't really think it was anything serious um, until it got to the point where I actually went on holiday with my mates and I was just sleeping for sort of 18, 19 hours. And from that point, I actually flew home early. I took the decision to buy a plane ticket and get home early and sort myself out. Uh, and I think within five days I was in hospital. So it moved pretty quickly from there. I uh, got home on the Saturday. By the next Friday, they diagnosed me. I went to hospital on the Wednesday. And I'd had this nagging feeling at the back of my mind a few months earlier that it was something serious, but I just thought, it can't be. I'm 18, it's not going to be anything serious, I'll be fine, it'll, it'll pass, it'll pass. And then it turned out to be quite serious. Um, but then and they started treatment straight away. That was then sort of intensive treatments. So you go through, I think it's, I can't remember now, I think it's four stages of intensive treatment. Um, that finished and I went on to maintenance, which is where I'm at now. You kind of hinted at it there that you weren't expecting anything serious to be wrong, but did you know anything about leukaemia or the different types of leukaemia, who it affects, anything to do with it at all? I didn't know how many different types there were. And I just, I, I'd heard of it, but I didn't know much about it. I knew it's sort of either young kids or old people. And I didn't really think it was anything someone my age would ever get. And yeah, I mean, they were always from, from, when I found out, they gave me so much information that you're just suddenly a bit taken back by how, how big the whole thing is. And Sophie, how about you? How did you get to where you are today in, in your journey, if you like? Well, I was 20 when I was diagnosed. So I'd just finished my second year of uni and I'd been on placement, like I've been doing my exams and I was just happy to be finished for the year pretty much. For the last couple of weeks of June, I was having like really bad headaches and um, really bad neck pain as well. Like at first I thought, oh, I've probably slept funny or it's because, you know, I've come home from uni and I'm not used to my own bed sort of thing. But um, it was the headaches that were just really weird. Like nothing would make them go away. And I remember because um, my mum and dad went on holiday the same day that I got back from uni. And I remember texting my mum while they were away. And I was like, you know, like these headaches are really not, they're really not good. Like, I was taking literally any tablet that I could, but nothing would make it go away. And she texted me and she was like, yeah, when, when you get, when we get back, we'll, we'll go to the doctors, we'll sort it out. And I was like, yeah, 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 that's fine. 
And I remember it was it was that World Cup summer, so it was boiling. It was you know everything was going on, and I remember going to the GP, and they nearly didn't let me have my appointment because I was still registered with the doctor at uni. But um, they got me in eventually, and then um, I sort of sat down, had had a lot of checks done, temperature, and the doctor was like, mm. he was like, your temperature's a little bit high, and I was like, mm. I sort of just like shrugged it off. I was like, well, it's a hot day, like I just really wanted to go home to be honest. And he just sort of looked at me and he was like, he was like, your headache. He said, that that could be that could be anything. But he said, your neck pain. He said, I really don't like that. And he said, because you're a student, you know, and you're at that age, he said, I want you to go to A&E to get checked for meningitis. So I was like, right, okay. So um, he sort of wrote me out a letter and I phoned my mom. And she was like, right, okay. I was, at first I was like, oh, I'll just take myself. Like, it, they'll, they'll send me home in a couple of hours. Like, don't worry about it. But she was like, no, me and your dad will take you. We all went up together. And uh, they saw me straight away. And uh, I went into like a side room. My dad was watching the football as he does. And um, so me and my mum went in. The nurse sort of like, was doing my observations and he was he was really staring really hard behind my head because that was where the screen was. And he was like, do you feel okay? And I was like, I feel fine. And I sort of turned around to look at this screen and um, my temp was about 38.8 and my heart rate was really high as well. And he was like, oh, I need you to have an ECG. And I was like, right, okay. Had this ECG done. And then I looked at this nurse and he actually had two phones. And I was just like, what is he doing? Like, why is he on two phones? Like, this is weird. And he's like, right, you need to come with me now. And I was like, oh, okay, where are we going now? And he's like, we're taking you to majors. And I was like, I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, yeah, you're going to have to have a blood test. And I was like, are you joking? <laughs> I was like, I'm not having a blood test. <laughs> like, I'm not. No, like, I was like, oh, I'm not having a needle. You are joking. I'll cry when I have to have a booster jab. Yeah, I don't know um, either. <laughs> so I was waiting in this room. We were in there for about four hours. So they came and did this blood test and I was like crying my eyes out because it was just horrible. And then someone came and took us to a ward and she was like, oh, it doesn't mean you're staying. It just means that um, we need a doctor to come and speak to you. And I was like, right, okay. And then the doctor came and he was like, I need more bloods from you. And I was like, I was like, really? I was like, Why? He said, like, one of your white cell counts, like, specifically your eosinophil count is really high. And he said, and usually that's, like, a sign of, like, a parasite infection. So I was like, oh, my God, what the hell is wrong with me? And then I ended up staying in. And then the next day they did, um, like, a full body scan and a bone marrow. And then the day after that was when they told me. So it sounds like at no point in that whole faffing around in the hospital or before then you didn't think, ah, Maybe it's cancer or leukemia or anything like that. No, like I remember they um they put me on a haematology ward after I had my bone marrow done. And four out of the five women on there were all over 65 and they all had leukemia. But I still didn't really think anything about it. I was just, oh, like, they've just put me on here because obviously there's something wrong with my blood. Like, it doesn't mean it's that. And then I remember sitting and waiting and my mum and dad had gone to sort of go and get me some clothes and some food and stuff. And um, I was sitting in the chair because I refused to sit in the bed because I was like, well, I'm not ill, so I'm not going to lie in this bed. And I saw this nurse like staring at me from like across from the um, nurses station. And I thought, like, why is she looking at me? Like, what, what is wrong? So I went over and I was like, oh, I was like, um, is everything okay? And she was like, oh, the doctor wants to speak to you. And I was like, yeah, 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 that's fine. Completely like letting it all go over my head. I was like, yeah, that's fine. I can speak to the doctor. That's absolutely fine. And she was like, yeah. She was like, are your mum and dad coming? And I was like, yeah, they're coming in a bit. And I was like, well, I can speak to the doctor. Like, it's fine. And she was like, right, okay. She's like, I'll uh, I'll go and tell him that you're ready to see him then. And I was like, yeah, 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 okay. Went back to my bed. 
And like that wait, like it couldn't have been more than 20 minutes, but it felt like hours, like sitting there waiting for her to come back. And I was like sitting there, like all getting really annoyed. And I went on my phone and I literally, I sat there and Googled symptoms of leukemia. And I went through this list and I went, nope, 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 nope. And I went, haven't got any of them. And then let it go back again. And like that was it then. I was just waiting for them to come over until she took, they took me into the side room and told me. I was just thinking about something that I guess you two have in common that you were diagnosed in that period after like a, I guess you could say it's a stressful period. So for you, so for like exams and, and same for you, Tom, just slightly different exams. Do you think either of you think that was the first thing you thought? Did you immediately think, oh, it's just been a long, a long few months? Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And what would you, what would you say to someone who is in that period now? Forget COVID. In that period now, um, post exams, and they were, you know, enjoying themselves, but they didn't feel right. Would you, would you encourage them to go to the doctor? Hundred percent. Yeah, just go and get checked because you might save yourself a world of trouble and it stops any worries as well. And the, uh, if, you, if there isn't anything serious, the earlier you get it, it's going to be so much easier. Yeah, definitely. So you both came to us to talk about your stories for the Spot Leukemia campaign, which is obviously where we talk about the symptoms and awareness of uh, leukemia, and just generally what it is, but also the symptoms. But I think a big part of that is whether the first people you see in terms of healthcare professionals know what they're looking for as well. Tom, you didn't mention whether you saw anybody, but did, did you see like a GP or anything? And did they suspect because you were young or whatever that you had a cancer or how do you think it went? So I think I was really lucky. Um, one of the lads I'd actually been away with is the local GP. So when I came home, I spoke to him because we needed to get some money back for us because the flight was delayed. So I actually emailed him directly just to say, can I have the reference number so I can claim it? And uh, he just said, oh, I heard you're not feeling well. Come in and see me. And I think if I'd seen a junior doctor, I'd have got fobbed off for a few more weeks. But he saw me on the Monday. And I think he knew something wasn't right, but he just said, look, I'll give you these antibiotics. Come back next Monday. And then over the next two days, I felt better. But I just had this really big hematoma on my knee. And it, I didn't know what it was. I just knew I had this big lump. So I actually called up again on Tuesday night. I sent him an email about 11 o'clock Tuesday night. and said, can I just pop in again? I just don't feel right. And then when I went in on the Wednesday, I think I'm 100% sure he knew what it was because he actually sat me down and said, look, you've got really low blood counts. Everything's just really, really low. But he also said, but that lump just doesn't look right. And then just said it might be leukemia. And, you know, there's a chance. So don't. I think he just wanted to let me know. So I didn't get a complete shock. But I spoke to him. Must have been about a year later. I went around because I went around to my mate's house and saw him. And I asked and he said he knew. Because I just looked at it. I had no colour to myself. I was knackered. Had this big hematoma, obviously, because I've got no platelets. And I had like two or three infections. Yeah. So there's knowing the symptoms. But I guess what I pick up from your story is that it's also following up and if you know, those antibiotics he gave you, it, it's, you know, if you don't feel better, go keep going and don't, don't give up at that point. Yeah, just definitely push the subject because if I just, I think it helps that my mum and dad are both in healthcare, but if I just sat around for another week, who knows where I'd have been a week later. I mean, the doctor who I spoke to in the hospital actually said if I hadn't flown home, I, I might not have ever made it back from Europe if I hadn't come back when I did. So yeah, just definitely go and get checked as soon as possible. How about you? So you mentioned the GP and it sounds as if they did sort of deal with you fairly quickly. Do you think that was sort of key to, to you getting better soon? Yeah, definitely. Because I think 
Like, I wasn't really going to bother with it in the first place because I thought, oh, like, it's just a headache, like, you know, but obviously you trust your mum when she says, like, you need to go and um and get checked out. And I thought, yeah, okay. But I think if, you know, like Tom said, if I would have left it any longer, like, it could have been a completely different story. And I feel like that's especially, like, relevant now with COVID and stuff because... I was just thinking earlier, like, if I had those symptoms now, I probably would have left it a lot longer than I did then. And that's scary that people probably are doing that now. So, you know, always, always, always go and get checked out if you think there's even the slightest thing wrong. It's just worth going and asking for someone, a professional opinion. Definitely. Yeah, that's something we're certainly worried about. People not not going to the doctors. They are still there. Um, You might have to get through the phone first, but that's this is a small problem you will eventually get seen if you need to be seen yeah a really important message so I wanted to come to why you guys are chatting to me today I guess in in that you're obviously keen to talk about your experiences and why is doing this sort of thing being on the podcast doing the videos that I know you guys done Tommy recently did the COVID vaccine thing with me what makes you say yes to this sort of thing do you think Looking at it now, I'm in quite a unique position in that I have the ability to sit here and tell people my experiences as someone who's come out the other side of it. And obviously everyone's not so lucky as to be able to sit here two years after diagnosis and be sat at university doing uni work. And I know the biggest help for me when I was diagnosed is actually for the first month I'd seen a few people, but no one really because I'd all been, uh, my treatment was all just, I was in hospital, I was staying in for a month. And then when I moved to an outpatient unit, one of the nurses actually introduced me to a lad who was a couple months ahead of me on treatment. And it just gave me a lot of confidence and a bit of just, you know, there is, a, there is the end, there will be an end to it all. And also just seeing people in the unit who were coming in for their checkup two, three, four, five, ten years down the line, it just gave you hope. I think that's the main reason, really, just so if someone else can see it, if one person can take away the fact that actually it's not the end of the world and it will be helpful. How about you, Sophie? Is that something you feel the same about? Yeah, definitely feel the same way about it because, you know, when you when you have an experience like this at such a young age, it is quite a niche group like that this affects of. There's not many, but sort of once you're thrown into this sort of thing, you actually realise there are a lot more people who are suffering than you once thought. Like it would have probably never crossed your mind before. It certainly didn't really cross mine. And then when you're thrown into this and you see other people struggling, you know, you have like this overwhelming urge to sort of give advice and sort of help someone out and make their day a little bit better because there were days on when you were having treatment where you didn't have people to do that because, you know, you didn't really know anyone. You didn't know how to explain your story online. But now having like, having a platform like, like you know, any social media and having people reach out to you for advice, like it's such a good feeling to be able to help someone like in that way because, you know, as a person who's been through it like you know what it's like to troll the internet for hours finding someone who's like you to sort of ask a question that you can't really ask a doctor and to be able to do that for other people like it I feel like it's really important so you mentioned social media there I guess that's a it's a strange one social media when I talk to patients half some people say they don't want to share that much it's a private thing they you know they, they want to keep their experiences private 
Did you use social media much before you were diagnosed? And, and I know you did you sort of chat about it. That I think you posted the other day you had some results come back or you were popping into the hospital or something like that. But is that something you would have done beforehand or is it something you just decided to do a bit more of like to share your journey or is it a bit both? Um, I think it's a bit of both. Like I was quite active on social media anyway. But when I was initially diagnosed, I didn't post for a long time. I didn't post anything about it. I sort of told people who I wanted to tell and the sort of news sort of spread through friends. Like rather than putting something out there, it took me a long time to post like a proper statement saying this is what's going on in my life sort of thing. But I think, I don't know, I think after building up kind of like so many friendships with different people online and seeing how you can interact with social media and post things on there and get support from everyone I feel like that definitely helped me to think you know what I should do this because it's going to encourage someone else to do it and if you need help you you've only got to send out a little thing like oh does anyone have any advice for this and all of a sudden you've got floods of messages giving you all sorts of advice and I feel like you really need that sometimes especially now like you know it's not like you can go to real support groups and sort of chat to people at the hospital properly like not the same so having that online platform it's really helpful definitely and Tom I wanted to talk to you about social media mainly because my overarching memory of your social media is the bone marrow biopsy video I remember when that came into the office and I I couldn't watch it I have to be honest <laughs> um, I thought that was very brave of you to post a, a video of you doing that but what makes you want to share that sort of thing o- online to be honest, at first, I just couldn't be bothered with having to message everyone individually. And I thought if I just put a big post out, it just saves me so much time and I can sit here and just scroll through the comments of everyone going, oh, good luck, I hope you're okay. I think over time, as more and more people followed my account and things like that, it was more, you know, there was there was people going through a similar story to me and a similar sort of journey. And it was just to give them confidence and just to be sort of there to message me and just be like hi you know what happens when this happens or this or that and it's not even necessarily been people with leukemia I've had people with other things message me and just it's just nice to see anyone who's survived it I think yeah and so it sounds a bit like it was just your age group and it's just a way you're already used to communicating in and and so you decided to use that as a, a way to get the message out which is fair enough I'm not sure I'd do the same but I guess that's why it's interesting to me We've also, obviously, you've talked a, a bit about the fact you were both diagnosed when you were fairly young. Young is a relative thing. Um, what do you think the long-term impact of having such a serious illness when you were fairly young is? Do you think it's changed your outlook on life, for example? Definitely. Um, I feel like I just do things now which I wouldn't have normally done, and I'll just go for it. If it's something I wouldn't normally have tried, I'll just try it because, you know, why not? And I'll see if I like it or not through that way. Um and as well, I think you just you stop engaging with things that just don't interest you as well. If you're really just not bothered by something, you're not going to do everything just to please other people. You're going to do it a bit more for yourself because, I don't know, it's, it, can, it can sound a bit selfish, but you, you are on your own at the end of the day. And it's, it's for you to look, look after yourself. How about you, Sophie? Is that, is, would you say the same? It's sort of changed how you deal with things. Yeah, well, I definitely agree with that. It's like you do have to be selfish because in those first few months, you really know the people who are sort of only messaging you to say that they've oh, they've sent you a message and the people who only want to come and see you because they can tell other people that they've been to see you. And so it sort of clears their conscience. But, you know, you really start to pick them out and it also gives you the sort of, you know, you sort of sit and think like, oh, well, like if something bad happens, like you haven't got a late ruin your day, like you've just got to move past it and get on with it. 
and you've got to find the positives in everything like where before like I'd be quite like you know worried about things and and stressing about little things but now you just sort of I just sort of let it go and just roll with it <laughs> yeah I think that's something we could all do a bit more maybe the covid is everybody else's equivalent of what you've learned to do maybe the whole entire world will change I guess while we're on the topic, how has the whole COVID pandemic been for everyone? Tom, I've spoken to you about this on our Facebook Live, but yeah, how how's things in terms of coping with the leftover treatment for leukaemia and COVID and everything else on top of that? It's weird. It's actually been quite nice at times because you've been able to just sort of deal with a lot of things that you were having to try and deal with anyway. So mentally, I think for me anyway, it's been a bit harder after treatment rather than or while I'm on the easier treatment rather than when I was in the harder treatment because I actually found that was just you go to the hospital you come home it's that's it that's your day whereas now it's trying to manage all your tablets whilst trying to live a fairly normal life so I think COVID actually kind of helped in that respect because it allowed me to just take a step back from everything do any work I need to get done at home but I could just really just forget about everything and just it was almost like on holiday at times because you know you had the nice weather it was actually not too bad, but I think it's got harder as it's gone on because now it's just more like I just want to get back to normal and I feel like I've had so long out and so long just sat around doing nothing now. You know, two years pretty much of my life of not been able to do a normal life. And Sophie, I mean, I think you've been a little bit, you're a little bit further along the, the journey in terms of not being on treatment anymore off the top of my head. Uh, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but how has it been for you in terms of trying to get back to doing what pe- normal people your age uh, do I guess it's just been hard like you know it's like last year I was sitting thinking like this is my third summer where I haven't been able to do anything like I haven't been able to go out and live a normal life and because I've been on obviously treatment for the last the two summers before that and you know you just you just want to be able to just go out like you know go to the shops with your friends and go for a nice meal like and I think, you know, I've had to spend so much of my life inside the last couple of years. It was like another thing to add to the list. But once again, I always say, like, you have to, you can't look at it like that because you just won't cope. You have to look at it as you have to find the small positives in every day. And that, that's what keeps you going. Since I got diagnosed, I have found that on certain days I find I'm quite depressed or I can be quite anxious and the leukemia has affected us with that quite a bit and it impacts on your daily life quite a lot. I found it quite hard to manage at times when I didn't know what my life expectancy was going to be or what was going to happen next. Sarah Jane is just one of the people affected by blood cancer to benefit from our Anne Ashley Counselling Fund. Our grants fund up to six sessions, allowing you to explore the impact of a diagnosis with a professional. To find out more and apply, search Anne Ashley Counselling Fund on our website or call our helpline team on 080 88 010 444. Sophie, it's kind of a slight tangent, but I did want to ask you about CAR-T. Um, it's probably something we could do on another podcast, but we spoke to uh, Claire, which I believe you know from Twitter, on our last podcast, um, and she talked about how, you know, it's a new and innovative treatment and I think you were the first person in the West Midlands to have CAR-T off the top of my head. And I actually randomly came across a statistic when I was preparing for the podcast that only 68 people have actually had it in the whole of the UK on the NHS. So you're still in a pretty small group. But 
what was it like to have a a very new or very innovative treatment like was it nerve-wracking was it exciting how did it feel at the time it, it was a bit of everything really like it was really exciting because um everyone was just buzzing about it like in the hospital like everyone was always like rallying around me like oh like you're having this treatment and you've got these cells done and this that, and the other and I'd just be like yeah and, like just going along with it and it was nice to see everyone so excited about it but it's also quite scary because um like I said before like it's it's hard to find someone in your exact position because everyone's completely different everyone's you know experience with leukemia is completely different like everyone's got a few similarities but um and my big thing was because of social media and stuff I thought oh I wonder if I can find anyone my age who's had Carte who I can sort of ask a couple of questions because because it was so new there wasn't really anyone to ask and I remember scrolling scrolling every single day I'd search the same things on Twitter and I wouldn't be able to find anyone like apart from like really young children and stuff like that so I was just like you know it's not really relevant to me so it was a bit scary in a way because it was kind of like being left in the dark you sort of get told you know everything from a doctor's perspective of what to expect and what side effects can happen and you know what can go wrong sort of thing but you can't actually like ask someone like oh like how long does it take to have the infusion or like um how did you actually feel like in yourself like after because a doctor can't tell you that because I haven't had that and I feel like that's what it's so important to like do things like this and to speak up about it because someone might you know listen to this and think oh my god like that's my situation or at least similar and you know and reach out about it and ask those questions that a doctor can't answer yeah definitely it was a very good use of of twitter that i like it tom i didn't want to leave you out this conversation i, I guess what I, I was going to ask you you, you um if only i had chemotherapy i say only chemotherapy was just the only treatment you've had so far did different types of treatment come up? I mean, would you would you like to see more of these treatments being used? I don't know how much you know about CAR T, but it's like it, it's touted as the new big cure everybody treatment. I mean, how does that sort of sound to you? And, and is it something you'd like more people to have the choice to have, or was your chemotherapy experience sort of okay enough that you you weren't that bothered? I mean, if, if there's something easier out there, I'd definitely take it because. <laughs> It's definitely not easy. Um, you know, it, it's different for everyone. I actually found I never really got any symptoms from the chemo apart from feeling tired. I was never sick from it. I don't really know how. There was one which they gave me and they said, yeah, you're gonna, you'll be sick with this. Everyone is. And I just wasn't. I never even felt sick. So for me, I actually sort of breezed through it pretty easily. I didn't get many infections. I sort of, I think I only went in once with the temperature. And the doctor was really, really shocked at that when I got to the maintenance. She was just like, how have you managed that? which I don't really know, but um, if there's something easier out there, then yeah, definitely be all, all up for that. I guess what we're trying to do at Leukemia Care is like the choice of treatment or like something that works for everyone and each individual person. I mean, not everyone as a group is, is often important. So it's interesting you didn't have side effects uh, or too many side effects. That's good to hear. Okay, so I guess the, the main reason we decided to sort of bring you two together is that my next set of questions. We were really intrigued by both of your choice of sort of where you're going next with, with your life, I guess, uh, your career and everything like that. And you're both sort of studying 
medical related things and I was intrigued as to how you got to that point so Sophie maybe we'll start with you I know you were studying at uni before you were diagnosed um, but you recently got your MSc in haematology I think so like did you did you pivot towards haematology after diagnosis what what were you doing beforehand and how did you end up at haematology yeah so my degree that I was studying before I was diagnosed was biology anyway because I've always liked science, I've always loved biology. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that at uni. That'll be good. Better than anything else I was thinking of doing. So when I got diagnosed, it was like, I was, the, one of the first things I said was like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to finish uni. Because I was just desperate to sort of carry on. And I knew that, like, at the stage where I was diagnosed, I knew that my friends who I'd made, like, through my two years at uni, they would all graduated by the time I was able to go back and I found that really hard because I was like oh my god I'm missing out like you know they're all going to be gone and I'm going to be stuck on my own doing my third year like with no help and you know obviously I did make great new friends but um it was everything that happened to me that sort of influenced me like I always I'd always said like oh yeah I'll probably do a master's degree after my um after my undergrad but I never really knew what to do it in like I was sort of just like mm, just going along with it and then after everything happened I'd, I thought like you know I think I think haematology is the one for me because I already know a lot about it and and I think when you've got that patient experience I feel like it really helps and it really helps you appreciate everything a bit more like when you're reading papers and you know reading statistics and um study cohorts you think like these are people like just like us like who have been through these treatments some people might just read it and literally just look at the numbers but you can appreciate every single thing that those patients have been through when you're doing that research and I feel like that really helps with what I'm doing yeah definitely and What's the aim for you going forward? As in, you've done the MSc, are you going to stay in the lab or do you want to do something something different now? I don't know what I'm going to do when I finish. I think I think it just depends on everything that's going on in the world. You know, with COVID and stuff, that's it's caused so many problems and I've still got to be careful because I'm still compromised. But I don't know, I'm just going to see where it goes. I love the lab, but I also like talking to patients and being able to help people like that using my experience from being a patient and also my science background so I feel like there's a few things I could do yeah definitely you could end up in my position the next host of a podcast <laughs> about, about leukemia um <laughs> Tom just picking up on something Sophie said there she, she said decided to you know when she reads the papers she thinks about in the back of her head her experience and the fact those people those statistics and numbers you you're studying medicine so you're I'm assuming hoping one day to see patients in front of you do you think that your experiences is, is now gonna I'm not gonna say make you a better doctor because I think that's unfair on everybody who becomes a doctor without having been seriously ill but do you think you'll be able to relate to them a lot more um because of that experience when you finally get there yeah definitely and it's things like knowing when someone isn't quite sure they want to tell you something but they probably do because the amount of times I've sat there with my doctor and been, oh, should I say this? And then I end up saying it because they know how to handle it because they've dealt with patients like me for years and years and years, but I know that already and I don't have to learn that. And that's often the most important thing you'll get out of someone. And you just, I think it gives you the experience to know what it's like to be in that position and to be genuinely terrified at times as to what you might be told or what you might find out from that day even though everything might have been fine for the last three months, you might turn up one day and just 
I don't know, you can just turn up some days and just not really want to be there. I've had it before where I go in for my bloods on a Friday and all weekend while I wait for the phone call on the Monday, I just hate it. And there's some weeks I have the bloods on Friday and I even forget I've got the phone call because I've just not thought about it. So it's knowing how people can change their attitude and just feel some weeks really, really bad about it despite nothing really happening. Yeah, so are you hoping it'll... Again, I don't. It, it's hard not to make it sound like I'm saying other people aren't great doctors. I guess a good <laughs> doctor who hasn't had this experience might be really good at being sympathetic, but there's a difference between sympathy and genuine empathy when you can put yourself in people's shoes. So I, I've read about like a breast cancer surgeon who was then diagnosed with breast cancer herself and said it completely changed the way she treats her patients. Like, do you, are you hoping it'll, it'll make you different in that respect? I feel like I've noticed it already because we do this thing where we talk to like simulated patients and practice our skills with them. And I've actually been told off because I say, oh yeah, I know how you feel. And they're like, well, you're not allowed to say that. And I'm like, no, but I do know how you feel because I've actually sat there and I've been through <laughs> this and I've had this exact conversation with the doctor a few times. Yeah. So I think obviously at the moment they don't, they're not a bit fan of it, but when I know myself, I'm okay to say that because I actually have been through it and, it just, I think it, it helps the patient calm down when you're actually talking to a real person because if I was to go into something like hematology and I can sit there as a 35, 40-year-old doctor and tell a patient, you know, I had this 20 years ago, that it would, be, it would just calm people down massively and just give them a bit of hope. Yeah, definitely. And what are you do you have an idea of where you want to go next? Is like hematology a bit close to home maybe? or I don't know yet. I mean, I've got... I've got three and a half years left, at least. It could be four and a half if I do sort of an intercalating year. Yeah, that's fair enough. I finish my treatment in a year and whether then it becomes easier to sort of look at and a bit further from home, maybe. I've got plenty of time to decide, so I could look into it in the future. This was a bit of a tricky one. I was pondering whether I should ask this or not. But Sophie, if we were... Say we're like 2050, I don't know, another 30 years or so from now, and we were doing the podcast and we're talking about this exact same subject again. What would you like to be able to say about what you've done with your both your academic experience and your personal experience? Where is there like somewhere you'd like to be in terms of how you've used it? I think I'd just like to know that I've made an impression on people and that I've helped other people get through times where they thought that they couldn't do it and you know and I hope I can be a comfort to people when they need it and you know I'm always going to be available for people even a stupid question nothing's too stupid to ask even if someone just looks back one day and like remembers all oh, like, just having a little chat with me and me reassuring them then that's enough for me to be happy with yeah sounds good how about you Tom yeah along the same lines just as long as even if one person can take a bit of a positive message from sort of my experience then you know it's, it's all worth it definitely I guess the last question for you guys then is looking back to when you were newly diagnosed if you had someone in a similar position now what what would your words of advice be to them they've just been diagnosed obviously in a stressful situation what would you say just stay positive I mean try and have a laugh as well me and my mum sat there my dad and my brother and my sister would all sit there just watching stupid films and quite dark humor at times but it gets you through it and just trying to stay positive the whole way because you will get there just keep stick with it how about you Sophie yeah definitely the same just 
try and look at every day as a good day try and find something good in everything and if it is a bad day it's fine write it off you know don't worry about it you've got you know the next day to make it better and don't be too hard on yourself like there's times where I've had to stop myself like if even now like I still think oh my god like what am I doing like I can't do this work because it's too hard or I'm too tired and you know and you've got to give yourself that break because you have to sit back and think like hold on a minute like look at everything I've just been through over the last like two and a half years I'm still recovering so why am I trying to treat myself like a normal person like I'm not there yet and that's totally fine yeah I think it's a good message for anybody who's after treatment for cancer it's a you know cope with the new normal and I mean that means something else these days doesn't it but um yeah cope with the with with what where you're at and not trying to push yourself too far that's definitely good words of advice thank you guys for your time a really interesting conversation good luck with whatever you decide to do next I think you'll be you'll be great at it whatever happens it would be good to to redo the podcast at some point next 20 years <laughs> and see where you've got to but good luck with everything and thank you for chatting to us thank, thank you. you thank you very much thanks thank you for listening to this episode of leukemia chatters for more information and support from leukemia care go to our website leukemiacare.org.uk or call our helpline 08088 010 444 see you next month